We are back with season three of Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes, a podcast. In this series, host Cassie Hollerbach, the director of education, and Kathleen Trott, the shop manager for the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop, will introduce you to all of the departments and people at Arizona Opera that are necessary to produce the operas you enjoy. In this episode, we're talking with Joseph Spector, the president and general director of Arizona Opera. Thank you for joining us today, Joe. I really appreciate you coming back for our third season. I'm really glad to be back. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, So we talked a whole bunch about what you do and where you came from in our first time that we interviewed you, but we're going to do a little bit of recap of some of it so that way people who've just joined us have some of the information. So let's start out with reminding us what a general director actually does for an opera company and at Arizona Opera in particular. Okay, well, we'll see how close I get to the last time. And it's changed. (laughs) It's probably changed uh, (laughs) since the last time. Uh, I think that the uh, general director of the company, like the CEO of any company, hopefully is the the person who is, is most ready to serve the organization. And by that, I mean... I'm surrounded by wonderful, talented people who are specialists in their respective areas, whether it's in artistic or production or fundraising or marketing and so forth. And um, uh, my job is to help empower people to do their best work, to be um, the person out in the community championing that work, uh, helping to gain the resources necessary in order to support the work. Um, but I, but I hope that the the biggest piece of that is being a servant of the organization, and uh, helping to connect whatever its needs are with um, with the rest of the world. What is your favorite part about doing all of that here at Arizona Opera? My favorite part is 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 probably the part where we get to do our work for people, and getting to see and feel how people respond to the work that we've all worked so hard to put together. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the opera is um, this incredible art form where it cannot possibly be achieved successfully with just one person. And the fact that there's this community of folks that are rallying around to, to create this piece of art or this education program or fill in the blank, any of our yeah. programs, um, the place where it where it hits me the most is when I when I get to feel in the hall or in a school how that how that moves someone else and how it might have changed their lives the way it changed my life at one point. So how long now have you been with Arizona Opera? A little over six years. So in your six years here, what has surprised you by being the most challenging part of being a general director? The the, the most challenging part has been the last two and a half years getting through COVID. Um, I don't think there's any novelty in that answer, but <laughs> it's it's the level of difficulty for being a successful opera company today is already very high, even before the pandemic. Um, how does this art form that's 400 years old connect with a community today? Uh, how is the business sustainable? But those are that's an outflow of are are we connecting? Are we moving people's lives? Um, and I think coming out of COVID after all of the innovation and reinvention and all of the pivoting that all of us on the team have done to continue programming for a community, I think the the question of 
who do we serve? How do we serve them? How much do we need to change to be here for people and where they are today is still an open question. And so I would say we're continuing to be in the most challenging period of time. And that's probably true for every opera company in the country. So remind us a little bit. I know we talked about this last time you were on the show, but where were you before you came to Arizona Opera? How did you get here? How did I get here? <laughs> this it feels like a very existential question. How did any of us get Just here? how did you wind up as the general director of Arizona Opera? What did you do <laughs> prior to career-wise? Uh, yeah, I, I've, had a, I've had a wonderful path, and, um, and I, I might have made the analogy last time, but I, I think a lot about that. Um, Steve Jobs speech where he talks about how the dots all seem to connect when you look backwards. Mm-hmm. It, that is absolutely true for me. And I would love to say that I engineered it perfectly from the beginning. Um, the, the accumulation of my experiences really have been a huge help to me here, but, but I hadn't plotted the path. Uh, before here, I was the general director of Austin Opera for four years. Before that, I was the director of institutional relations, which is institutional fundraising, uh, corporate government foundation at the Metropolitan Opera. Before that, I worked in finance for five years. And before that, I was an opera singer for eight years. So it's it's a great uh, combination of ingredients. And honestly, I have had to call on all of it um, through most of the time I've been doing this work, but especially the last two and a half years. I don't, I don't know how anyone does this work <laughs> without some blend of those elements. So then, since you came here from other places, what ultimately have you and your family enjoyed the most about living in Phoenix? What's your favorite part about it? I think the thing that's surprised us the most is how welcoming this community has felt. Um, you know, it's it's strange because, uh, I, I mean, we had, a, we had a, a really huge life change when we moved to Austin, Texas, which, you know, cool capital of the world and live music and all of that. And, <laughs> yep. and, and probably in part by virtue of the fact that we were um, parents of very young children at the time, we didn't really partake in a, a lot of the things that made Austin cool. And, or weird. And from weird. No, well, <laughs> hey, listen, we're involved in opera. That's pretty darn weird. You know, opera is always the weirdest. Um, uh, so, so part of it probably has to do with the season of life that we were in when we came here. Uh, but the way in which our family has been embraced, the way in which we've been able to find activities and organizations that that we've enjoyed, and to feel like we're you know we're part of a community here, I think that's the that's one of the biggest surprises and one of the things we like the most. What do you miss most about some of the other places you lived? <sighs> that's a good question. I, I think it, there's a little bit of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. I mean coming from the East Coast and living in towns like Philly and New York, mm-hmm. you know, restaurants is just back in New York recently and mm-hmm. being able to have the the variety and quality of the restaurants and the just convenience, they're just everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And food is such a huge part of our family culturally. That's probably a big piece of it. Um, you know, I, I would say to, to some extent, um, the way that older communities have arts and culture more embedded in their DNA and to and to be able to feel that greater level of connection to the work that we do um, which doesn't mean it makes the work easier it's, there's just there's just a, um, a difference in the way that people connect with you or understand you when you're in arts and culture in a, in a city where that's storied I'll, I'll say on the 
flip side of that, though, that being in a place like Arizona, where two thirds of the population comes from someplace else, also is probably one of the reasons we've been able to change and adapt as much as we have, because we haven't had the pressure of a a really sort of entrenched philanthropic or social or cultural class that's sort of dictated things yeah. have to stay this way. I've, I haven't really felt that here. Yeah, you don't have to fight against, well, we've been doing it this way for 300 years. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we have it anyway. I mean, institutions always have their mm-hmm. their things that they've done forever. And yeah. It's hard to change. But, th- but that is one of the advantages of being sort of in a more pioneer-type city. Uh, I don't miss snow. Uh, me either (laughs) i don't miss snow um but those i think those are maybe the biggies so you touched a little bit about your path and being an opera singer and things like that but can you go into a little bit more about what your background and education has been leading up to this point how how does one become the general director oh well i think there are a lot of different paths that's the great news for anyone that's brave enough (laughs) to come into this space and i don't mean just as a general director i think there are different paths to all of the work that we do um and and in fact i think the field benefits when we have people who come from rich and varied paths you know In, in my case i was born in maryland i moved to miami when i was about 11 and went to a magnet school for the arts where at that point i was primarily doing um, singing and trumpet playing and a dabble in saxophone because that's that was saxophone was a big player back in those days yeah you know? he's, he looks like a tr- trumpet you, you I see know. it now I, yeah. he said mm-hmm. that and I remembered being like oh uh-huh. brass player it's a woodwind player just make a note to follow up oh, on no! that <laughs> Uh, but when I got to um, graduate from middle school into high school, I went to high school for the performing arts, new old school for the arts. I, I got in on voice, but not on trumpet. Um, and uh, that was probably good judgment on new world's part. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I, w- I was like a, like more of a Rudy, you know, in the trumpet playing space. And, <laughs> you know. um, and, and, and throughout all of that middle school and high school, I really wanted to be a, a pop music performer. I wanted to be a rock singer. And, um, you know, taking voice lessons was to serve my ambitions of being a rock singer. And that was real for me. And I had a band growing up and I, I still love those guys. They're my closest <laughs> friends. Um, uh, but, but over a period of time, I fell in love with opera by accident. Um, two summers at the Boston University Tanglewood Institute were pretty instrumental in that process back in 91 and 92. And, uh, and that drove my decision to go into um, studying music, classical music for undergrad, which I did at New England, New England, New England Conservatory. I got that on the third take. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I also studied political science at Tufts University at the same time. So at that point, I wasn't sure I was going to be either a, an opera singer or a politician, but mm. those were the two paths I was primarily considering. And I was a martial arts instructor at the time. Mm. So that's how part of how I paid my bills was washing dishes in the cafeteria and teaching taekwondo. I don't think I knew that about you. Which the political part? science part. Yeah, I was I was uh, pretty pretty hmm. devoted to that potential. But when I graduated from school, I had to make a decision about what I would do, and I and I chose art, and I moved to New York, and I and then it was a luge. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, like you said, with your looking back, the dots all line up that those two things combined together make a lot of sense with a successful general 
director or president of this kind of company because you have to spend so much time connecting with your patrons and you know walking some paths carefully but also diligently and it's that but it's also being oriented toward and caring about what people think yeah Mm -hmm. and centering other people's above uh, above my own yeah you know i if if i I don't think this would ever happen i don't think it would ever happen but if I knew with 100% certainty that there was a particular opera season that would connect for the community in a broad and electrifying way, and I didn't like any of it, uh, I know I would still program that season. You know, I don't program for me, and and that's the that's the service idea. You know, we're here as a mission-driven organization to serve a community, and I think the political science background gave me that external that that kind of external orientation that I've that stuck with me. So you mentioned that you don't program for you, that you program for the community. However, if <laughs> <laughs> if you could program for you, is there a project that you either have done that is a favorite project or a project that if you were to wave a magic wand, you could do? Oh, gosh. Not thinking about anything other than what you something that you like a dream i think in general i I, i'm you know i have specific dreams (laughs) (laughs) i think that i think the kind of the kind of projects i get the most excited about are ones that do pull in elements that are unexpected and i think it's because you know for communities like arizona you know, the number of people we reach through what we do is relatively small. And I think that by um, incorporating thematic or musical elements or styles is such a huge opportunity in terms of reaching new people and speaking um, artistically in a language that is resonant and exciting and impactful. So, you know, a, a great example of where this worked was was Riders of the Purple Sage, which had elements of, you know, it, it was it was undoubtedly, in my view, and to the extent these labels matter, an opera, but there were these sort of sweeping melodic aspects to it and, um, you know, a colloquialism to it that, that felt also kind of like what you would call music theater. And there were people that, you know, said, I think this is music theater. What's the difference? It gets pretty hard to tell. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what's magical about that particular piece and I think the kinds of projects that get me excited is how can we combine what we think of as traditional opera with other forums other stories even other modes of delivery so that we can reach broader we say markets but broader communities Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day all I really care about is changing people's lives in a positive way through the art form and and doing it on scale and um, that so I think that's I think that's a. It's not as specific. It's as a very answer. political answer. No, it, it's, <laughs> but but the, it's 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 not it's not meant to be political. It's no, broad. <laughs> it's broad. But if there were, you know, um, if uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Taylor Swift were here right now, oh, if only. saying like let's let's work on an opera using my library as the theme, um, I I I'd be really interested in. Mm-hmm. It. I mean, just because she's got a global platform and so mm-hmm, forth, mm-hmm. and a musical language that people really connect with, what would that look like? You mm-hmm. know. And um, uh, so I, you're I, saying I, your dream project is a Taylor Swift opera? Uh, 
Possibly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, like, she, no, absolutely not. <laughs> looking over at me with this, like, save me, save me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about the, the, the opera about dolphins, because people love dolphins. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Could you imagine? <laughs> An aquatic-based yeah, opera. Picture, picture, if you will, the water gobos. Have you then, it sounds like the answer is yes to this question, but have you always known that you wanted to be involved in the arts in some way even if you weren't working when you were in school and you hadn't decided your path did you still feel like you kind of belonged here no matter what i i don't i didn't always think i was going to be professionally involved in music but i i think i never considered a world where music and art wasn't a part of my life Mm -hmm. that's for sure yeah um but you know the idea of going into politics was was very real for me for for quite a while and it, it wasn't uh, an automatic decision when I graduated from school so in terms of it being the the center of my reality mm-hmm. I don't think I I don't think I always knew that for sure no Arizona Opera's 2022-23 season starts with Zach Redler and Jerry Dye's The Falling and the Rising at the Herberger Theater Center in Phoenix, October 16th, 15th, and 14th, and the Temple of Music and Art in Tucson, October 22nd and 23rd. And then stay with us for the rest of our season, Ariadne F. Noxus, Tosca, The Sound of Music, and our season closer, The Magic Flute. Arizona Opera has a number of events and programs to supplement our main stage shows. Coming up in October, we have our Fall Family Day featuring Halloween crafts and fun performances on October 2nd, and our Opera for Lunch series on, featuring the Marion Roos Pullen Arizona Opera Studio Artists on October 6th. We also have programs such as Coffee at Care, pre and post show lectures, and more. To find all of Arizona Opera's upcoming events, visit azopera.org slash upcoming events or azopera.org and click calendar. Please be sure to check the required COVID-19 safety requirements prior to attending our Arizona Opera event. To never miss a moment, be sure to subscribe to our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So, Joe, as we move along, let's talk a little bit about what your favorite project or production was from our last season. So, when I first thought about this question, <laughs> my instinct was to be, you know, very diplomatic and say, well, you can't choose your, your favorite child. Uh, in, in the case of last season, I, I do have a choice, though. And it's for a specific reason. It's not an artistic reason uh, per se. But um, El Milagro, the piece that we opened with, after being apart uh, from people for so long in the theater, the experience of being back together and with a piece that was so much about isolation and separateness and then togetherness and the importance of family and the importance of togetherness, I'm not sure that... I'm ever going to experience that again. I, I, I hope not to. Um, yeah, because of what mm-hmm. came before to require you to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For all of us. Yeah. And it was kind of a whim. The 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 first um, performance, I, I was very aware of the fact that we had stagehands behind the scene and stage manager and all the cast and the orchestra was in the pit and it's it's almost impossible right now 
to think of it in a in an immediate sense it's 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 like a it's like a movie i saw once um, mm-hmm. that experience yeah. of being back together for the first time yeah and how special that was and i i asked the audience to uh, to applaud for the people that were in stage backstage mm-hmm. i didn't know how many people were going to be actually able to hear it i hoped a lot and the um the feeling of I mean, it was it was a physical sensation when people started cheering. They were cheering because they were cheering because of all the work that we had done to be there. They were cheering about being together. It was overwhelming, you know. And I, I'm not stoic, but I also don't get swept away by emotion very often. And I and I, you know, was tearing up on that stage. Yeah. And it was that piece that we came back to, and I, we programmed it with the idea in mind that this was going to be. A, a warm embrace because of the subject matter, because the musical language is going to be so um, approachable, so embraceable, so familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think the extent to which that connected exceeded any anything I'd even thought about. And as people walked out of the hall, so many people said, and I know you you too have probably heard this as well. You know, please do this again. Mm-hmm. Please do this next year. Please mm-hmm. do this every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I can't say that there was a single opera that I've ever done where that was the feedback mm-hmm. coming out um, it, in such a uniform fashion. Part of it was about the piece and part of it was about that moment in time and how people felt about being together again. And I I hope we never forget that. Mm-hmm. I'm worried that we've forgotten it already. Already? Yeah. It's hard sometimes to remember that sort of thing in the middle of the budget out of balance i'm missing whatever and we're behind that inevitably happens sometimes in the season as we produce things but we did backstage when you asked them we heard good the applause and it was nice because we did sometimes i think especially in production because of all the logistics we get a little bit bogged down and it feels like the audience i know that they are there and they appreciate the whole picture but it does sometimes end up feeling like well it's really not the whole production it's really just the singer on stage but in but in the beginning of this last season it definitely did feel like everyone was like i don't just want someone to sing because i have a cd i can listen to a concert what i want Mm -hmm. is a whole entire experience that took hundreds of people in order to make it and they all missed it yeah yeah i i think I think there was a greater awareness of how many people are in the village yeah. during this period of time. But I also think, you know, part of the magic of what you do in the costume shop or what happens with lighting or any other, the uh, the other production elements is that it feels like an invisible hand, mm-hmm. you know. If if you're noticing the costumes, oh, it's, something might yeah. have gone wrong. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. why is Carmen wearing a jumpsuit? You yeah. know, like, yeah. yep. there could be a good reason, yep. but chances are yeah. <laughs> something is, something's yeah. gone ter- terribly yeah. amiss. And, yeah. uh, you know, and that's true for, for all of our art. There's so many people, you know, any any given film, mm-hmm. you know, kids love animated films. You see, like, the hundreds of animators involved in a single film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and if you knew that, if you felt that hand, you might not be immersed in the moment. So yeah. I agree. And I under, completely understand it's, you know, the the sort of emblems of all that work are the singers on stage and yeah. we connect opera to the voice in a certain mm-hmm. way that is reverential. But people would people would miss it if the production quality yeah. weren't there for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you may have just answered this question, but what were you most proud of 
from last season. I'm proud of the people that work for Arizona Opera. I'm proud of my colleagues. I'm, and, you know, I don't need to tell you guys. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to get like a little emotional here. Um, you know, I, I feel so lucky to be able to work with you. And th- there were so many hard and dark times. And, and there still are. You know, there are times when I, you know, I feel... Um, I feel the energy and the morale of this company in my my bones, and I know mm-hmm. when it's not lined up. And at the same time, when things are in such a period of transition, because no matter what happens from here, it's transitional. Yeah, you know how can there not be discomfort associated with that? It might be necessary discomfort, mm-hmm. but it's still so hard. And the fact that you know substantially this organization got through so fully intact Mm -hmm. and everyone rallied to the cause and the arts in general there's always flexibility there's always coloring outside the lines Mm -hmm. there's always some place where something is needed that might be a little different than you know what you think you signed up for as a general director you know you are always a person who needs to fill out figure out where the gaps are whether you're filling those in personally or not and they're just always unusual connective tissues that that need to be strengthened and reinforced yeah and that that other duties as assigned line in all of our job <laughs> descriptions that is that one sentence is catching a lot of juggling balls as they are headed yeah. toward yeah. the floor yeah and and i think art is art is a little bit like that i mean yeah. i think there are ways for us to limit the degree of variability mm-hmm. but the truth is that making art is a messy process yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and if you don't have a spirit of collaboration, we're mm-hmm. going to work together. We're going to we're going to make sure this gets across the finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, when I see something that where it's not quite working, you know, how can I jump in? And and mm-hmm. uh, and I think you guys know I'm like maybe really really willing to do that at any mm-hmm. given time. Um, but we're all like that, mm-hmm. like because we, we take pride in the work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great quality of this team in general. It's part of the reason that we have some of those dark times when we feel like we can't do our best work. I think that's what tortures people the most. And how lucky am mm-hmm. I to work in an organization where people care that much mm-hmm. that they're mad when they can't <laughs> do yeah, their very true. best work? Yeah, when it's frustrating, mm-hmm. it's frustrating because there are things limiting the mm-hmm. what feels like the ultimate success that we're experiencing. Do you know how wonderful that is? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I mean, not not yeah. the pain of it. I, I, I'm not diminishing no, the pain of it at all. The fact yeah. that that's why you're frustrated. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. In in the uh-huh. middle of the frustration, it's very difficult to remember. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, you're still trying to solve the problem. Yes, right? and you know, it, but but that's about pride. That's about caring about what mm-hmm. goes on the stage. It's yeah. how it affects people. Yeah, because mm-hmm. if none of us cared, oh my gosh, it would be so much easier to do a whole bunch of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what's so special about the mm-hmm. nonprofit sector. Yeah, is, you know, there we've we've signed on for something bigger than ourselves because you care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and I think, I think, I think. Um, people do need to have boundaries and they do need to be able to say I'm, I'm terrible at this I'm absolutely <laughs> the worst person in the world <laughs> my life and my work are completely integrated uh-huh. and I, it's no problem for me to go from like hugging my kid and petting my dog to you know doing emails like it's all just part of one, one. Yeah. continuum really so you relate to it. that yeah uh-huh. I, f- I try to force my staff to not do it but i never follow the rules yeah. that i make them yeah and and it's and it's and it's tough when you know when you're in a leadership position yeah. which all three of us are mm-hmm. and you know you you model you know this this mm-hmm. this blurring behavior yeah. you know it's it's it could be a little challenging for folks but um 
and and, and I, I don't want to I don't want to diminish that in any way, especially when you're when you're so driven to the core by that, that mission driven um, uh, sort of mindset. Mm-hmm. You, you need to be that much more disciplined about drawing lines once in a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at the same time, being willing to stretch is yeah. also so important, yeah. and that's it's a it's a generosity of spirit. Mm-hmm. I, you need something from me; I want to give it, mm-hmm. and, and and vice versa. I think we all just love what we do so deeply. That's why we do it. That's I'm crazy. Not, like I mean, it just I'm not that's saying that you don't love to be an accountant and you don't love to do you know what you sometimes think as a quote unquote nine to five job, but I mean, we're living our life to do what we love. And it's a net. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all, we, we, the only way it exists is when we all do it together, mm-hmm, we all connect mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys are counting on me to, mm-hmm. you know, be out there, be an ambassador, re- raise resources, you know, help craft strategy. Mm-hmm. I'm counting on these education programs to be able to tout in the community. Mm-hmm. I'm counting on these people to show up on stage and look like they're, Happy you know, naked. from this period of time. <laughs> <laughs> Joe never uh, wants to let me do naked show. <laughs> it depends on the show, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. No, but that's. I mean, I just. I just got to tie off on. That, even though I love closing with a good joke. I mean, that that is that is incredibly special. Yeah. And and I think even I think even a lot of other nonprofits and performing arts nonprofits that. It, uh, among other organizations I know, this level of devotion and care. I mean, like when the man, when, when most of the when most of the challenge comes from people just wanting to do their best work. Yeah, that's that's an unbelievable strength. All right. So, do you want to get into why we're all here, which is to talk about this upcoming season? The upcoming season. Speaking yeah. of our five opera yeah, give season, us a little bit of a info sneak pre peek if you will about what our five shows are i would love to well first of all it's so exciting that this is our first full five opera season since the 2018-19 season it's just mind-boggling that when we get to the end of this season it will have been four years since we accomplished that task of of five full operas so we we opened the season uh in october with the falling and the rising which is um, a, a new opera within the last several years by Zach Redler and Jerry Dye. And it's about the experience of our U.S. military veterans, um, in particular the, the stories and experiences with which they come back to, um, you know, to participate in society, uh, sometimes from either physical or emotional wounds and what it means to you know, be part of our culture from that vantage point. And, you know, when we think about the importance of telling stories of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in opera, um, we don't always think of military service as one of those axes. But there are, there are so few people that give so much in, in that kind of service. Um, I'm really proud that we're finally able to produce um, this piece. So that will open the McDougal Red series and the beginning of our season. Um, our second piece of the season, also very special, is... Uh, Ariadne Afnoxos by Richard Strauss. And the there, there are kind of a, a few layers to this which make it exciting. One is from a, you know, a, a coming full circle standpoint, this was the opera that was supposed to close our 2019-20 season. 
what's neat about this production, uh, relative even to the 2020 production that that didn't take place, is that um, this is going to be a new physical production, uh, and it's also going to be a new reduced orchestration of the work because it is going to be in the Red series, uh, in a, a kind of a chamber opera setting, and. You know, so much of opera is comes down to individual relationships and intimate cast dynamics. And I think uh, very excited to see uh, Chuck Hudson's vision as the stage director come to life uh, through through a new production of this piece that I think um, I think people really, really enjoy. Uh, then we move to the main stage series in Symphony Hall and the Linda Ronstadt Music Hall in Tucson, and that will open with Puccini's Tosca. It's it's a very taut, intense drama. Yeah. Some of the arias are really stunning. Yep. From a purely uh, Joe-centric standpoint, it's got one of the best baritone arias. <laughs> La Boheme has no That's baritone arias. Uh-huh. No yeah. baritone. Even though I love La Boheme, yeah. I met Kate in a production of La Boheme, mm-hmm. so I, you know, so La Boheme will always occupy a special place in all mm-hmm. of our arts. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tosca has got the best yeah. baritone music in the rap with the Te Deum in Act 1. Yeah. Uh, so very excited to have um, Tosca back on our stage. Uh, that last time we performed, that was in the 2017-18 season, so mm-hmm. it's been a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we move into The Sound of Music, which mm-hmm. is a new production uh, that just premiered at Glimmerglass Festival, directed by Francesca Zambello, who was one of the great opera directors uh, of our time. And beautiful new production, mm-hmm. and a wonderful cast. We're welcoming back uh, former studio artist uh, Katie Jordan Bryant as uh, Maria and her, her husband Jonathan. Um, mm-hmm. Be playing Von Trapp. It's going to be. That's it's going to be beautiful excited. and fun. Yeah. 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 And and the reports from Glimmerglass about how people have responded to yeah. it has just been you know just just wonderful. Yeah. Exactly what you want. And you know I know there's conversation about you know um, the sound of music being a musical. I would just say that there is no better place for Rodgers and Hammerstein where in its original form and original performances was sung by these incredibly legitimate voices. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no other place for that yeah. kind mm-hmm. of repertoire that, or, or nearly that's as well served as, as on an opera stage mm-hmm. with operatic voices. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to have The Sound of Music here. And I'm also really thrilled to do a production that will, um, I believe, have the potential to bring a lot of families and kids yeah. and let mm-hmm. them experience that that aesthetic for the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the same holds true for our season closer, which is the Magic Flute by Mozart. Uh, a lot of familiar music in there, especially mm-hmm. the famous Queen of the Night aria, mm-hmm. wonderful casts, uh, a, a lot of um, presence of both uh, former and current members of our pull-in opera studio, mm-hmm. and a wonderful uh, season closer. But it's it's a... I mean, it, it really covers a very broad range of repertoire, and I think um, people crave variety and, and excitement, and I think all these pieces, the cast, the creatives, the productions, really will bring that. Yeah, I think visually, all these pieces will look yeah. very, very different from one another. I also think that if you've never experienced opera before, you could pick any one of yeah. the operas this season. That and was a conscious good, choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm really glad you pointed that out. It's, it, I, I would like to think that every time we program a season... Right. That we're not <laughs> sure. Like, well, let's pick yeah. one that will really alienate right. most everyone. <laughs> um, but, but I think we were even more attentive to that general point this year, planning this season, which we do very collaboratively at Arizona Opera, m- more focused than usual on, you know, 
will this be that big hug that brings people back? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think to some extent, each one of our offerings this year has that quality to it. This is just our way to get to know you and all of our guests, we for everybody, um, just a little bit better. They may or may not have anything to do with opera or the arts or the fact that you're a general director, but it'll give our community a little more insight into Joe. Oh, God. So, the goal. <laughs> we may have done this last time, too. I think I, we did. Because yeah. I think that we found out that Joe would take oh black t-shirts, t-shirts to a deserted, to a deserted island. island. Yep. That we sounds, did do that. That checks out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you had the power to remove any one food item from existence, what would you get rid of? Wow. I'm going to make enemies with with this one. And I don't think you asked me this last time. Mm-mm. Well, I'm allergic to some foods. So I feel like if I eliminated those foods, then my life would be just a little bit more, you know, sort of egalitarian. That's very pragmatic of you. Mm-hmm. I'm a practical person sometimes. <laughs> I have black t-shirts and deserted islands. We, we, call, we call carrots <laughs> death sticks in my house. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> apples are death spheres. <laughs> But I, I like the idea of apples, uh, and I like the idea of carrots. So I'm going to go with celery, because celery is like oh. eating hair, and I don't oh, think yes. anyone celery should just eat feels celery. Useless. It's just... But then I'm allergic to it on top oh, of that. So I don't think so I'm going to get a lot of pushback. you celery, carrots, and apples? Among other things. Do you know... I'm, but I like a lot of the other things I'm, I'm allergic to. I'm pretty sure that Katie, our draper, is also allergic to celery. Well, there you go. So you have uh, another anti-celery friend. In yeah, the I don't know. I don't, we, we don't get together or anything like that, but maybe we should. <laughs> now you should. You can form a group. It's like the, the, the anti-celery group. Illuminati. <laughs> the the uh, anti-celerati. There you go. Anti-celerati. I'm fine with celery going. All of the cooks who listen to this are really upset. <laughs> oh, <they're> like, <laughs> it's part of the Trinity, guys. <laughs> if you could add a fight call to any opera... Which one would you liven up? Oof. <laughs> That's a great question. And then I think also what kind of fighting? It's always going to be martial arts. Right. So let's just stipulate that. <laughs> I think it should be it should be in a show where it's really you know, really unexpected, you know, like a big breakout martial arts scene. And the Von Trapp kids. Oh, oh yeah. Gosh. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then Gretel tumbles down the stairs. <laughs> I feel like we could try a whole season where we just throw, throw martial, martial arts, arts in every single. Yeah, film. there's a like a montage, a training find, montage. It's like hidden in there, you gotta find yeah. it. I feel like that might make us have to change the endings of some operas, though, depending on who it is that. It is always fighting. it always ends with Ralph Macchio, sweep, you know, getting his legs swept in the yes. <laughs> People love that movie, guys. Cobra Kai. I know. You know. They have them in the new yeah. series now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the answer to that is, is a everyone season of operas. All of the yeah. operas. Yeah, exactly. All of the operas. Can, did you spot the fight scene? Yes, we did. Yes, it was we 35 did. It minutes long. It all. <laughs> it was the whole third act. <laughs> what has been your greatest kitchen mistake? Actual actual like so we have to think about me making food in mm-hmm. the kitchen mm-hmm. yeah not kitchen. accidentally consuming poisonous celery right but wow you know what i'm gonna say 
this th- th- because my kids give me a hard time about this one on a regular basis. I'll, I'll mention this one. There was one day when um, I was trying to be a doting husband and bring Kate her a tea one morning, and we didn't have honey, so I wanted to put the sugar in. Except that I put a whole bunch of salt instead. <gasps> I had. Oh the- no! <laughs> so that that pro- I, I was, we're still married. I mean, oh no! <laughs> but salty tea. tea. Oh. Yeah. No. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean that they, they give me a real hard time. Yeah. Probably rightfully. All right. So this season we've decided instead of trivia to do a what happens next. So I'm going to read a lovely little historical operatic Mm -hmm. disaster. And then I will stop and you guys both get to guess what you think happens at the end of said story. Just for fun. Mm -hmm. So we're closing out our our episodes this year. Are we ready? All right, so this one is from 1958, um, and it's about Don Giovanni at the Vienna State Opera. Um, So it says, many operas end like Tosca with a sudden descent of the hero into some nether realm. So in this version, they um, wanted to have a different interpretation so there was a stage lift Mm -hmm. and so Giovanni stood on this stage lift and as he's singing and the go the show goes and the technicians are supposed to lower down the stage lift so he disappears Mm -hmm. into the depths of hell so they try to descend him down and it gets stuck halfway so he's continuing his aria shoulders up from hell mm-hmm. um and they decide that the best thing to do is to raise him back all the way up and try again so they in fact do that they raise him up and then they challenge this lift operator for a second attempt and of course he doesn't go down because they haven't solved anything mm-hmm. so as he is stuck halfway into hell, what is the lovely comment that was made? Like that Don Giovanni made? No, that the maestro made. Mm. Did he say like say something like just die already? No, something? that is your sort of standard. <laughs> Come on, Violetta. Let's go. <laughs> I think, you know, I don't know how this is going to sit with your listeners, but I'm bringing it full circle here. I think the maestro, we're seeing this instant and having a really talented production team, commanded the pod of dolphins to be released <laughs> into the, the semi-descended platform. Okay. And they consume him and bring him down. <laughs> Into the pit of the ocean. I think that consumption by dolphin might be a fitting punishment for Don Giovanni. Just think how long it would take with the little teeth. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a that's a rough way to go. Right. And look how adorable. Like you're gonna be like, oh, oh. ow, oh, ow. It feels like that's how Don Giovanni should go. He's <laughs> being eaten by angry Stay dolphins. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, what happened? Okay, so <laughs> in Italian, we hear. Oh my God, how wonderful. Hell is full. Uh. <laughs> All right, all right. 
Well, well, thank you so much for being with us again, Joe. This is kicking off our season three and our 22-23 season, full five opera season at Arizona Opera. Yay. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, gang. Thank, thank you. Thank you. We'll be releasing a new behind-the-scenes podcast every month, so make sure you check our website, azopera.org, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and join our email list so you never miss a moment. Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes is made possible in part thanks to the support of the Molly Blank Fund, Dr. Rex Brewster, Investing Kids Charitable Gift Fund, the Moreno Family Foundation, the Ted Stephen Teaching Artist Endowed Fund, the Arizona Republic, Cardinals Charities, the City of Peoria, and a consortium of individual donors. This program is also part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative that encompasses a wide variety of programs that go beyond the opera stage to develop the next generation of opera artists, audiences, and philanthropists. To learn more about the programs that are a part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative, please visit azopera.org and click Next Gen Initiative. These programs are made possible in part thanks to generous support from Roma Whitkoff, Jeanette J. Siegel, the Molly Blank Fund, APS, SRP, Jody Pelusi, Joy Tevis, and a consortium of individual donors. Special thanks goes out to the Marlu Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop. This podcast is produced by its hosts, Cassie Hollerbach and Kathleen Trott, with editing and music composition by Sean Mallow.